Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Maybe the security system is not the major issue. Isn't it true that most of the recent thefts dealt with by the Carabinieri have been low-tech? That is, events that don't involve turning off the alarms. I remember at least one case where a thief entered in the late afternoon during public visiting hours and stayed behind. He found a place to hide overnight and then exited in the morning, carrying a small painting under his coat. This is G.P. Gottlieb author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I'm talking to Sarah Wissaman, author of both the Lisa Donahue Archaeological Mysteries set in Boston in the Middle East and the Flora Garibaldi Art Conservation Mysteries set in Italy. Her most recent book is The Botticelli Caper, set at the Uffizi Galleries, in Florence during the years of construction before the current security system was installed. Flora, an art conservator on loan from Rome, realized this, that Sandro Botticelli's world-famous Birth of Venus is a good but not perfect forgery. She wonders how hard would it have been for a master artist to copy the painting? How would the original have been removed from the museum with guards all around night and day? And what would happen to the original paintings? Because now two people have died and more forgeries are discovered. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining me today. It's great to be here, Khalid. Thank you. So were you already reading and writing mysteries while you were working as a professor of archaeology at the University of Illinois? Yes. In fact, I was reading mysteries as a kid because my parents had all these beat up old paperbacks in Massachusetts on every shelf. And so I was introduced to Dorothy Sayers and Agatha Christie and, and all of their favorites at an early age. Oh, you are so lucky. I love Dorothy Sayers and Agatha Christie. Which mystery authors, aside from those two, do you consider most influential in your decision to start writing? Or who were some of your favorites? Um, contemporary writers, I was heavily influenced by Barbara Tomato, who is, you know, is a Chicago author. And I met her at Love is Murder. And her ability to insert a lot of research into her mysteries. And so we had a lot of conversations about how to do that without dragging down the plot. But the most influential author for me was probably Mary Stewart, who I would describe as romantic suspense. But I just loved her foreign settings and the pacing of her books and the characters. And it wasn't until I'd written the first book that I discovered I'd internalized some of what she did because I had quotes at the beginning of each chapter. Mm. Mm-hmm. So there you were. 30 years, being a professor, Champaign-Urbana, archaeologist, traveling. When did you start writing? How did you make this switch? 
It is a very tricky switch because during my academic career, I was writing technical articles with a lot of vocabulary, and anthropologists and archaeologists have just as much jargon as any other specialist. But I started thinking about the book when I was still working at the university because the first book was set in the creepy old attic museum where I had my first job. And one day I thought, what a great place for a murder. And because we were working that time on analysis of an Egyptian mummy, I got the idea of telling the story of that investigation, but finishing it in fiction, you know, answering some of the questions we couldn't answer in real life. So that was the very first book, Bound for Eternity. Mm. Can you describe a bit more about your academic research and writing? And also, do you still have a foot in the mummy door? In the, I'm sorry, in the archaeology door? <laughs> yes, uh, the mummy will never die. <laughs> it was a child mummy from the Roman period, and I got my five minutes of fame a couple times because of all the videos and things that were taken of us doing x-rays at the local hospital and uh, going to veterinary medicine, and uh, it, it was an amazing, um, amazing project. I still have a foot in archaeology because I teach archaeology at our local Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. And so that is wonderful for me because my university job was mostly interdisciplinary research. So using the museums, working with anthropology, working with chemists and physicists to analyze artifacts and materials and find out more about them. And so the mummy project was one of the culminations of that, but we also did other things like sourcing pottery and uh, looking for the sources of North American stone in uh, Illinois and Ohio. Mm-hmm. So do you think when you were on these excursions, when you were doing this kind of research and everybody was studying and looking for clues, do you think you were thinking, were you the only one thinking about murders? <laughs> um, not entirely. I have met some other archaeologists. I know one uh, here in town who has also written a couple of mysteries. Um, the discipline of archaeology is rather like being a detective. Another thing I like to say when I'm teaching is that archaeology is like a jigsaw puzzle with half the pieces missing. So you have to make a lot of interpretations and educated guesses based on incomplete evidence. And that's what makes it fun. So I, I actually wrote a little piece about the archaeology of mystery writing, you know, having layers that go from the top down and you find out about the villain when you go several layers down. And what you see on the surface is like the surface of an excavation that someone has left behind. Oh, that's fascinating. So the first book of yours I read was House of the Sphinx. It's number four in your Lisa Donahue Archaeology Mystery Series. And it involved a bioterrorist outbreak of an extremely contagious disease. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about it without giving anything away. Um, it was terrifying to imagine how easy it was for evil people to get their hands on these materials. So is the world any better prepared today in light of what we've learned during this pandemic? 
Um, well, maybe I'm a little cynical here, but I would say no, because we've made so many mistakes. But um, that book came about because I finally got to Egypt with my husband. I had spent my junior year in Israel, but they stamped my passport. So I couldn't cross any Arab borders. So I didn't get there until 2005. So we did the standard tourist thing, you know, the tour on the Nile and lots of sites. Uh, and it wasn't till we were on the way home that I started to describe to my husband a, a plot for an archaeological mystery set in Egypt. And he said, hmm, I think you need something else. And I said, like what? And he said, how about a little bioterrorism? So it's his fault that I added that. And because my husband, Charlie, is a retired pathologist, and he used to work for the Center of Disease Control. So he said, take a look at their website. And I did as soon as I got home. And lo and behold, it had a smallpox epidemic preparedness plan at the time that I was beginning this book. I haven't looked recently to see if it's still there, but that made me realize how much good material was there and that you could weave smallpox into a story like this, especially because just like COVID, it has a slippery long incubation period. And that, that enabled me to infect a lot of people without their knowing they were being infected in the book. Well, just to be clear, you came home from Egypt without getting sick? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I came home from Egypt. Well, okay, except for uh, King Tut's Revenge, the usual tourist tummy. So right. <laughs> Some of your characters thought they had that, too. Yeah. So then I read Burnt Sienna, which is the first book in your Flora Garibaldi, her art history mysteries. Mm -hmm. So... Um, which is such an interesting switch. Uh, I want to know, are you still planning to write more um, about uh, the archaeology series in the archaeology series? And can you talk a little bit about your art background, how you decided to move away from the archaeology mysteries? Uh, it, it wasn't really moving away because the graduate program I went to at Bryn Mawr College was... Um, classical and Near Eastern archaeology, and it actually did include a, a lot of art history, but I had been an anthropology undergraduate major, and so I had both, uh, both approaches. And while I was a graduate student trying to earn enough money to pay my tuition, one of my jobs was working in the Cincinnati Art Museum Conservation Lab. And that's when I discovered that to go on in professional conservation, you need a heck of a lot of chemistry. And though I was fascinated, I knew I wasn't going to do that. But I did get exposed to conservation as a profession and learned a lot from the conservators around me. And uh, they taught me how to repair picture frames and do some picture, clean, uh, picture cleaning, some painting cleaning. Mm -hmm. Can you say something about Flora, your protagonist? and how you came up with her? Flora is like a younger, feistier version of me. I mean, I think my first character was a lot like me, and that a lot of writers, when they start out with their first character, do that. By the time I got to inventing Flora, I wanted to try a younger woman 
who had some personality characteristics that I don't. And I wanted to make her very adventurous and always getting into trouble because she likes to meddle. And so I, um, many writers have told me that their characters talk to them in their heads. And I found that to be true, that you may start out with the germ of a real person and then the character takes over and she says and does things that the author wasn't planning. And then you have to make adjustments to that and, and work it into the story. Mm-hmm. She's, she's a really interesting girl. She's lovely. And, uh, but she does get herself into confusing situations. <laughs> I noticed she also stars in your most recent novel, the Botticelli caper. Um, can you give an overview of the book and without giving anything away and tell us sure. a little bit about your research for it? Uh, the premise is that a young conservator discovers that a very famous painting at the Uffizi Gallery in Florence is a very good forgery. And not only is this a forgery, people have been looking at it on the wall for an unknown amount of time, having no idea when it was switched with the original. So art forgery is is one of the things that I've always been fascinated with. And also having worked in several different museums over the years, my last museum job was the one here at Illinois. And when you're involved in a building construction project at the same time you're trying to work there, that leads to all kinds of confusions, and it gave me lots of ideas about how one could move artworks in and out of a museum, especially when you have uh, lots of people coming in and out. So, and then the other thing that grabbed my imagination was the Uffizi itself, because it's a 16th century palace originally with so many different ways to go in and out. And one of the most fascinating parts is that it is connected to two other palaces by passageways. So if you want to hide something, there's just enormous potential for that. So um, when I traveled to Italy the last time with my daughter, Emily, she was busy looking at the great artworks that she'd never seen before. And I was busy looking at security cameras and what the guards were doing and trying to imagine how I would go about replacing an original painting with a forgery. Well, did anyone stop you when you were doing that? You were studying unmarked doorways, security cameras and guard placement. This, this was The book was set in the early 90s. Could you probably couldn't get away with snooping like that today? What do you think? No, I don't think so. But you know, this trip was uh, in 2016, and I was looking around. I was even taking pictures with my cell phone, and the guards paid no attention to me. So I thought, well, that kind of reinforces my feeling that if you can distract someone, you can you can do quite a lot of things in plain sight. So. Uh, well, I don't know if you had a marker with you. <laughs> I, I remember the Uffizi galleries. I was there in the 80s, and it was quite extraordinary. And the, the, uh, the piece that Flora discovers is definitely a forgery, is one of the most famous paintings in the world. 
That's right? true. The birth yeah. of Venus. How? I, I just don't understand how nobody noticed. Well, because many famous paintings are not taken off the wall or out of their glass casings unless they need cleaning. Or, say, a scholar comes and has special permission to examine it up close, which in Italy would mean getting numerous permessos to, to do anything. So in the book, I have Flora discover that the last cleaning took place and the conservator left no notes behind. Nobody on the staff can, can say for certain when the last time it was taken off the wall because the database is messed up. And in the story, it's right when they're doing all these renovations in security systems and electrical wiring. So that just makes the job of the detectives impossible. So let's talk about the detectives a little bit and the Italian. Please, you have a little bit to say about that. How did you do that? <laughs> How did you do that research? Can you talk about that? Uh, investigating the Italian police without actually living there is difficult, but I did have some Italian friends that I communicated with by email. And um, in my, t I had done several research trips in Italy, so I was in and out of a lot of museums. And the other thing that, that helped me, I think, was the research on how the police work is that like our country and like many European countries, the police have multiple divisions run by different people. And certainly in Italy, uh, as well as other countries, um, the policemen don't always play well together. There are arguments about whose jurisdiction a certain case is and what the priorities are and who's in charge and where the funding's coming from all the things you might expect. But in, in Italy, this is particularly uh, the case. There's um, a lot of discussion about food and what they're eating. I enjoy reading that. So <laughs> where did that come from? Oh, I'm an omnivore and I love Italian food. So I, I very much enjoy it when people read my books and say I made them hungry. You also made me want to have an appetizer for every meal, the first course and then the second <laughs> course. I love that. Remember the pasta course. Oh. And I love that uh, Flora's from Chicago. Yes, I wanted to give her an interesting background and make her half Italian so that her Italian would be much better than mine ever got. Mine got good enough to get around to travel and to communicate some to the Italian officials. But of course, I, I don't go back there regularly. I didn't have an excavation of my own over there. So it never got to the kind of fluency that some of my colleagues have had. So Sarah, I want to admit to you, when I'm looking for uh, authors, I always give special preference when I see there's a Chicago connection. <laughs> <laughs> so what uh, I understand you lived in... Uh, Champaign-Urbana for 30 years. What was your connection to Chicago? Um, many visits to Chicago. We have friends and relatives up there. My stepmother um, lived there before she died. And then there were two favorite mystery conferences that met up there. So 
And of course, well, in central Illinois, we're also close to St. Louis and Indianapolis, but Chicago has always been a draw for us because of the museums and the food and the lake. Um, Lots of reasons to go up Chicago, and it's only two and a half hours from us. I can also understand why you don't set your um, books in Champaign-Urbana, because there just isn't enough murder down there. (laughs) <laughs> well, I am thinking of setting one murder here. <laughs> oh, they had one murder 30 years ago. They're still talking. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are you working on next? Right now I'm doing, um, I've started a book set on the coast of Maine, which because I, I grew up in New England is another favorite place. And again, I think I was channeling Mary Stewart a little bit when I remember how beautifully she describes her settings, her settings in, in Greece, in Crete, in, in other locations. But those countries in particular w- would like to try my hand at describing the coast of Maine that way and having a certain amount of skullduggery going on at the same time. And this time, my new character is going to be a painter, not a conservator, but a painter who does have some knowledge about art theft. So we might be getting more into uh, smuggling than conservation. And Mm. the East Coast has plenty of history of smuggling things. So um, I've really just started work on this. So I I can't give you more of an idea of where it's going than that. Well, I do know that your descriptions of, for example, the the buildings which you speak about as if they were alive, and the the streets in um, where are we in where's the Uffizi Gallery? I'm blanking oh, on Florence. That. Florence. In Florence and in Rome or in Egypt, your descriptions are lovely. So I'm looking forward to reading about the East Coast. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. For joining me today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Happy writing and keep going. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with Sarah Wisseman, retired archaeologist and author of the Flora Garibaldi Mystery Series. Happy reading, everyone.